Hey, welcome to The Recruiting Trail. I'm your host, Andrew Nimick of the Oregonian and Oregon Live, bringing you the latest each week in recruiting for the Oregon Ducks, Oregon State, Beavers, and Oregon High School Athletics. We've got a lot to get to on this show. It's been about nine days, I think, since our last episode. And because of that, there's been a lot of movement. And of course, all of this begins with the decision from Amani Bates. He was the number one prospect in basketball in the class of 2022. He reclassified into 2021 and remained a top five prospect nationally in the class of 2021, despite being against guys who are a year older. And if you really take a look at that class of 2021, it's pretty incredible. The top guys in that class are in some cases almost two years older. Chet Holmgren, who's the number one prospect in the country in 2021, going to Gonzaga. He's almost two years older than Amani Bates. To give you an idea of how impressive it is that he remains in the top five despite reclassifying I've told you on this show that I had heard it was kind of coming down to Oregon or the G League, but things really changed in the last couple weeks. It did not change on his visit to Memphis last week. Oregon's visit uh, last weekend obviously didn't prove to be enough to overcome the latest development, and that development was really the commitment of Jalen Duren from the class of 2022. He was competing with Imani Bates to be the number one prospect in 2022. Most folks had it as Imani Bates. Some had it as Jalen Duran. They were the number one and number two prospects in 2022. Jalen Duran commits earlier than Imani Bates. He chooses Memphis and like Imani Bates, reclassifies into 2021, chooses Memphis, and that really opened the door. Those two are friends. They are teammates. And it was mentioned when Imani Bates finally did commit to Memphis this week that really the biggest piece or certainly one of the absolute biggest pieces that really worked in Memphis's favor was head coach Penny Hardaway selling Imani Bates, who's six foot eight, six foot nine, 200 pounds on being Penny Hardaway while Duran, who is a big bodied physical player could be Shaq and that essentially Memphis would play similarly or at least have sets that were very similar to those early 1990s Orlando Magic teams with again Jalen Duran playing the role of Shaq, Amani Bates playing the role of Penny Hardaway. Who better to teach that then Penny Hardaway himself, the head coach of Memphis, that really proved to be a massive difference maker. Oregon was right there. I, I had multiple national guys that I was able to get a hold of in late July, early August, and had a chance to talk with those guys and said, where do you think this is? You know, not quoting you, not going to put your name out there, but where do you think this is? And and folks said, I think it's either Oregon or the G League, to be honest with you. I think Oregon's done a phenomenal job. So Jalen Duren's commitment and reclassification was absolutely huge in the battle for Amani Bates. As it stands, Oregon still with a very, very good team. I think, you know, so caught up in this Amani Bates thing and, and finishing second, I think people forget how good this roster really is. They added a ton of talent via the transfer portal. Nathan Biddle is coming in, and this really does look like an Oregon basketball program that should compete for the Pac-12 title and be right there for an Elite Eight Final Four type of run. They have a proven bucket game getter at 
every starting position, all five starters on this roster are going to be guys who have already proven that they can average 10 points or more per game in college basketball. And, and a number of them have all conference experience. Obviously, in Fale, Dante is coming back from injury. It was reported this week that he is starting to go through some work. It's not, you know, scrimmage work yet. He does expect to be ready by the beginning of the season. He's kind of the one guy that hasn't proven he's a double digit scorer. And even at that, it's not hard to imagine how he could be that guy. But Quincy Garrier, uh, you know, obviously Will Richardson coming back. This is a very, very talented team. So even without Amani Bates, look for Oregon to be a very talented squad and, and potentially the type of squad that could win a Pac-12 title. Yes, it's disappointing not to get Amani Bates, but the future is still very, very bright. Uh, recent updated rankings. I know, you know, Dior Johnson at one point, the Oregon five-star point guard commit, the number one point guard in the nation. He was the headliner while Kel L. Ware, the most recent addition, a five-star center, was slightly below him. In the updated rankings, Kel L. Ware and Dior Johnson are back to back the number 17 and number 18 prospects in the nation in the class of 2022. They won't be here this coming season. But if you're looking towards the future, Oregon might put together its best recruiting class ever in 2022. They've already got two elite pieces. That's a top 10 class nationally with just those two. Oregon's going to go all in on that 2022 class. Don't be shocked at all if they add another either high, high four-star guy, a couple of high four-star guys, or a five-star player or two before that's all said and done. So no Amani Bates, no problem in Eugene, although obviously, obviously, no one's saying it's a non-factor. Getting Amani Bates would have been huge. Oregon obviously a little disappointed with the way that ended. Over the past week, Oregon football added a big commitment, and oh my goodness, if you watched that commitment, how wild was that? It ended up on Good Morning America because of the uh, miscue during the announcement on San Diego's KUSI News. They have a show, the Pigskin, uh, the Prep Pigskin Report. It's been going on for, I think, almost two decades now. I've had a chance to talk to prospects about it since then. Like, what is this show? And it is the go-to show in that area. Everybody watches that show. And and it's funny because prospects will be like, oh yeah, I've seen that kid before because I watched the PPR. And that's what they call it, the PPR. So it's a show from 11 to midnight on Friday nights, wrapping up the local uh, the local high school football action. So Lincoln High School's in that. Helix High School's a very good high school in that. It just rounds out. Uh, it takes a look at the top highlights. They get some young reporters to kind of go to each game, get some highlights. They announce the highlights. So it really allows the San Diego football community to get familiar with one another at the end of that show. So we're talking like 11.56 p.m., on a Friday night last week, Jalil Tucker, the number four athlete in the country, the number 61 overall prospect, is set to announce his commitment. And I don't know if the announcer was, um, 
waiting for a certain time that they had to hit. They had to hit a certain marker on time. But rather than get to the announcement, he starts kind of going up to people fairly randomly. He went up to the Lincoln High School football coach twice and asked him essentially the same question. What does Jaleel Tucker bring to the table? He he approached Jaleel Tucker's mom, asked her what she thought. I think he approached a teammate or a, a family friend at one point. And the, the moment that goes viral, he goes up to Jalil Tucker's dad and asks him what he thinks of Jalil and what he's going to do for his future. And, and Jalil Tucker's dad says, you know, he's talking about him and he's kind of struggling to find the words. And then he says, Jalil Tucker will represent Oregon well. And then he's holding his wife by the shoulders behind her, standing behind her. And he kind of ducks behind her and goes, Oh, and rather than play it off, he just like runs off the screen, not completely runs, but like ducks off the screen. And it makes it very, very obvious. And the moment in and of itself, if you just see that moment, you think, man, that dad really spoiled his moment. And and obviously he, he let it slip and we will let it slide. But in truth, that was set up throughout the whole show, frankly, by the host. The host multiple times. Now, there before the hour-long PPR show, the Prep Pigskin Report show, there's like a half hour, it's called First and 15, I think, or maybe it's 15 minutes, that just kind of updates people as scores start to come in before the highlights come in. So throughout that hour and 15 minutes, they tease the Jalil Tucker commitment. And throughout that entire thing, both co-hosts kept saying things like, has any player that's uh, had a scholarship offer from Lincoln ever not gone to Oregon? And they would say, where do you think he's going? And and one of the guys would laugh and kind of say, is there any way he's not going to Oregon? Is there even really seriously anybody else he would go to? So throughout the whole show, they're walking all over, stepping all over this kid's announcement. I've never seen, I listen, I've done this for, you know, five or six years now. I've never seen a host, an anchor, a reporter who is involved in a commitment giving it away more than the PPR hosted. I mean, he he had to have mentioned four or five different times. Basically, there's no way this kid is going anywhere other than Oregon. Well, why did you have him on the show then to announce his commitment? And yes, again, dad messed up by giving it away and saying Oregon. But you could not, if you watched that whole show, you could not have watched that show and gone into that announcement thinking anything other than, well, this kid's obviously choosing Oregon. The host obviously knows he's been telling everybody all evening. So yes, the dad made a mistake, but also... I really think it was amateur hour from the host who, again, multiple times, multiple times indicated Jaleel Tucker was basically, he's going to Oregon or I'll be floored. He's going to Oregon or I don't even know what else. Is any of, or any of his other finalists even real finalists? Did he even visit those other schools? I mean, he said all kinds of stuff to indicate that it was obviously Oregon. So by the time the announcement rolled around, everyone already knew it was Oregon. It was over. I mean, it wasn't even, it wasn't even debatable. So Oregon gets a great player. He's a phenomenal corner. I had a chance to ask Greg Biggins 
on recruiting with Andrew Nimick, 1080 The Fan, Thursday nights from 7 to 8 p.m. If this Jalil Florence, Jalil Tucker combo is in some way reminiscent of a few years ago when Oregon was able to stack some really good California DBs, Thomas Graham Jr., Javon Hall, and Diamador uh, Lenore. And he said that's a fairly good comp, that essentially those guys are projected to be those types of talents. And in terms of impact for Oregon, in terms of recruiting success in California, California, though getting those two is very, very similar. So if you're looking for potential impact of getting Jalil Florence, the four-star corner, uh, Jalil Tucker's Lincoln High School teammate who committed earlier in the month of August, if you're looking for an impact on what those that duo could be, Biggins has seen those guys in person. Biggins knows them well. He scouted them for multiple years. And he says it's very similar, very similar based on what he's seen to kind of Oregon getting that Javon Holland, Diamador Lenore, Thomas Graham Jr. level talent. And, and if you hear that and you're not just absolutely thrilled about what this could be, I don't know what to tell you. That's two very special talents. Talents obviously coming in, and if they're if they're those types of players, they're locked down defensive backs. Uh, Florence projects, and he could potentially play some nickel, but he's an outside corner. And Julio Tucker's obviously an outside corner, one of the fastest players in the state of California. Uh, ran a ten seven hundred as a freshman in high school, so blazing, blazing fast, big time, big time impact. And that kind of leaves you with 19 commitments. What's next for Oregon? They've got these DBs. You know, we're watching obviously Ben Roberts, the four-star defensive lineman who recently decommitted from Washington after visiting Oregon. He seems like an absolute lock to choose Oregon. I'm not ready to put it at 20, but it certainly seems obvious that Ben Roberts is headed to Oregon. If you're at 1920, you're going to have to start to get selective. And I think right now we're going to hit just a little bit of a lull. Damani Dent, the standout uh, defensive back from Oregon Saturday Night Live camp, picked up an offer from Oregon, picked up an offer from Michigan. He's announcing his decision October 10th. Oregon also recently offered Snow College Junior College defensive back Keontae Scott. Talk to Keontae Scott this week. He is planning to visit Oregon. Oregon likes him as a nickel corner. He will not be an outside corner. He can do that in a pinch. He can play some free safety in a pinch, but he is projected to be an outside or excuse me, a nickel corner at Oregon. He's also being recruited by several other Pac-12 schools. He's already visited Arizona. Oregon State is heavily in the mix for him. He wants to visit Oregon and Oregon State. Oregon State likes him at outside corner. He says he's a football player. Doesn't care whether it's inside. Doesn't care whether somebody sees him as a safety or a corner. He wants to play Power 5 Conference football. That's his dream. That's his goal. So I do think he's probably headed to the Pac-12. One way or the other, he's going to be somebody Oregon and Oregon State fans see on the field. It's just, is he on the opposing sideline or their own? That's going to be the interesting piece. Oregon's right now going to have to review some things. They're going to have to decide. They've already got Jaleel Florence. They got Jaleel Tucker. They got Landon Hullaby. They got Trajan Williams. That's a lot of DBs. Do they want to take a Damani Dent and a Keontae Scott? Probably not. So they're probably going to have to evaluate and restack their board here. And that wouldn't shock me. In fact, I think that's highly likely that right now, this week, next week, right before we roll into the fall football season, if they don't kind of try to figure out their priorities for the fall, because again, when you're at 19 commitments and, and possibly soon to be 20 with the addition of Ben Roberts, who decommitted from Washington, again, the four-star defensive lineman, 
you don't have many spots left. And everybody knows about Cyrus Moss, the borderline five-star edge rusher. Everybody knows Oregon's after Kevin Coleman, the five-star wide receiver. You've got to start sorting out what's left on your board, what's reasonable on the board, and where your needs are so you can ensure that you hit on all your spots with your remaining scholarship offers and you don't overtake uh, too many kids. And right now, and I mentioned this last show, there's more interest in Oregon than there are spots. There are more than five or six kids who would commit to Oregon right now, or at least would by signing day. There, frankly, there are. There just are. There's a lot of interest. I wouldn't be shocked at all if Oregon also reviews their commitments, and I've said this before as well on this show, if Oregon reviews their commitments and doesn't decide, we need to cut th- two or three of these guys. We need to let them know they can come here. Their scholarship's still there. But there's a very good chance, based on the interest that there is in the program for this year and next year, that it's going to be really hard for them to see the field. And I think those guys are pretty obvious. Last year, Oregon signed four three-star prospects. I think this year they're at seven or eight out of their 19. So almost twice as many three-star prospects this year as last year. Uh, I would I, Not only do I think a couple of those three-stars will go up, including Steven Johnson, the Texas wide receiver, but I also think Oregon is going to have to tell a couple kids, you're probably not going to play if you come here. So that's something to watch. I think we could see some decommitments that you go, oh, Did Oregon lose him or was this part of the plan? And I think it'll be part of the plan. The other thing is if they, if Damani Dent's scholarship is committable, then we could see him pull the trigger October 10th. If he chooses somewhere else, that probably means his offer is not committable and that he, you know, Oregon could be looking at a Keontae Scott or something along those lines. As it stands, 19 commitments. Number one recruiting class in the Pac 12. Number five recruiting class in the nation. But is that sustainable? Is Oregon going to stick to having a top five recruiting class in 2022? Is that realistic? When we come back from the break, I will break down the chances that Oregon finishes with a top five class, a top 10 class, and so on, because the answer actually may surprise you. Before the break, I told you Oregon has the number five recruiting class in the country, the number one recruiting class in the entire Pac-12 conference. Prior to Mario Cristobal, Oregon had never signed the number one recruiting class in the Pac-12 conference. He's been the head coach for three plus years. And in those three plus years, Oregon has finished with the number one recruiting class all three years. And this is his fourth year and they're number one for a fourth year. He has completely changed the game, but... Is this number five class sustainable? Will they remain a top five class? And frankly, the answer is probably no. And that doesn't mean this isn't going to be a phenomenal class. And I'm not trying to pour cold water on what is an exceptional recruiting class. This is going to be one of the top three or four classes of all time for Oregon. Will it be number one, though, which is where it currently resides, or at least is right on the edge of residing compared to just last year's class? The answer is probably no. Again, last year, Oregon signed multiple prospects in the 20s, and they only had four three-star prospects. If you want to finish with a top five class, everybody knows you probably need a couple of five-star guys, and then you need a ton of four-stars. Three-star guys don't help your ranking much at all. They just don't. You get a lot more points on 24-7, on Rivals, for adding those blue chip four and five star players. In this class, 19 players, Oregon has seven or eight three-star prospects right now. Almost twice as many as last year. 
So it's unlikely they can eclipse last year's class to finish kind of in that four to seven range, depending on which site you used. Not only that, but Oregon currently sits fifth in the nation right now. If you go down to the top 30, 21 of the 25 schools behind Oregon, so in schools that are ranked right now currently on 24-7, 6 through 30, 21 of those 25 schools have fewer commitments than Oregon, and 7 of those schools have a higher rating per commit right now. That leaves 21 schools out of 25 that are behind Oregon with room, more room than Oregon, to climb. Not only that, but seven of those schools with fewer commitments have a higher average rating per commit. In other words, if they just continue to recruit along the trajectory they're at and they reach the same number of commitments as Oregon, seven of those schools would jump Oregon. I don't expect all seven to jump Oregon. I think some of those seven schools that have higher rated commits right now got their best players early, but I do expect that three or four of them could. When you've got, when you're fifth in the nation and you have right among the top level of commitments, they have more commitments than almost anyone in the country. You're almost topped out. Oregon doesn't have a lot more room. Even if they add a Cyrus Moss, Ben Roberts, Kevin Coleman, that's a huge haul. That's a monster haul. Even at that, take a look at a school like USC. USC has a couple of five stars already. Their average rating per commit is higher, and they only have 10 commits. Oregon has 19. Oregon can add four or five more. USC can add 15 more. They're 30th in the nation right now. But if you give them 15 more commitments, they've got a chance to climb and catch Oregon. Do I think it's likely? I think it's a coin flip. To be completely candid, particularly since Oregon took a couple of the best players from California in the last month here with Tatario McMillan, the four-star wide receiver who, if today were signing day, he would be a five-star. Again, 24-7 sports always makes their cut list 32 by signing day because that's the number of first-round picks. So there are 32 five-star prospects every year. Before signing day, they kind of slowly roll it out. So it's at 23, then it goes to 25, then 27. McMillan's number 27 in the nation right now. So on signing day, if it stands as it does now, if he holds his current ranking, he will be a five-star prospect. So they got Tatario McMillan. They got Jalil Florence. They got Jalil Tucker in a commitment that went viral. They've landed some really good prospects out of California. And California is really down this year. I saw an article that listed top blue chip most uh, schools, excuse me, states with the most blue chip commitments or prospects. Everyone knows the big three. The big three in high school football is California, Texas, and Florida. California this year is not in the top three for most blue chip prospects. In fact, I think Texas has something like 60 and California has something like 15. There are years that California has more. This is a historically down year. Not all time, not the all time lowest level of talent in California ever, but it's a really down year for California talent. It's really down. It should not be that Texas has almost four times as many blue chip prospects. Florida has way more prospects. I think even Ohio and Georgia, uh, one of the two of those states has more blue chip prospects than California. That doesn't happen very often. So it's going to be hard for USC, going back to that point, it's going to be hard for USC to fill out their class with all blue chip prospects. Yes, they have 10 commitments while Oregon has 19, so they have more wiggle room, 
but they might be hard-pressed to find 15 blue-chip prospects to add to their class, even though they recruit at a high level. Oregon recruits at a high level, and they've got seven or eight three-star guys, frankly, because in some cases the ratings are a little bit behind, and in other cases there just aren't a ton of blue-chip talents on the West Coast. And we've seen that. And, And frankly, Oregon's recruiting approach highlights that. California's down. What has Oregon done? They went into Texas and landed some big time commitments in the state of Texas. Five star offensive tackle Kelvin Banks, four star guard Cameron Williams, four star wide receiver Nicholas Anderson, four star safety Landon Hullaby, and soon to be four star wide receiver out of Texas, Steven Johnson, who was absolutely incredible at Saturday Night Live. Oregon's done a great job, and they've done a great job of saturating this class and bolstering this class, complementing this class, however you want to say it by adding Texas talent to their already dominant West region showing. But with 19 commitments, there's just not a lot more wiggle room to climb. There just isn't. And the schools behind them, again, Oregon's fifth. In the top 30, from 6 to 30, 21 of those schools have fewer commitments. More room. Seven of the schools in the top 30 that are behind Oregon have a higher rating per commit. Their average commit is a higher rated player than Oregon's. So, if you just go by average rating per commit, Oregon right now is outside the top 10. Now, that's top 10 in the nation. It's still a phenomenal recruiting class. They're in the top 15 in the nation. But if you're looking for a snapshot that says, what's a realistic ranking for this class in the middle of the year? Don't necessarily go by ranking because sometimes, and there's been years like this, where a school has 22 commitments and the next highest school in the country has 16. So they're number one. But then in terms of average rating per commit, they're 13th. Guess what happens by signing day? They tend to end up right around 13th because average rating per commit is a better gauge. Everyone ends up with generally between 19 and 25 commitments. So yeah, you might have a few more and that might change your your ranking a few spots. But at the end of the day, if everyone has the same number of commitments or roughly the same number of commitments, average rating per commit is what determines who has the better class. Oregon right now outside the top 10, but just barely. And that's roughly where I think this ends up. Oregon's fifth. Seven schools behind them with fewer pledges have a higher average rating per commit. I expect a few of those schools to eventually jump Oregon. I think Oregon's going to get a couple more commitments, including guys potentially like Cyrus Moss and Ben Roberts, that help raise their average rating. So I think this is likely a class that finishes somewhere between 8 to 12. That would be probably the number two class of all time. A phenomenal, phenomenal haul for the Oregon Ducks. The number two class in program history. Not number one. Not number one, but man, with this class, with Tatario McMillan, with Jalil Tucker, with Jalil Florence, with Kelvin Banks, with Cameron Williams, they've added elite talent and elite size all over the field. So I don't want people to hear this and say, well, Nimick doesn't think number five sustainable and Nimick thinks they're headed on a downward trend. That's not it. We're talking, you know, we're talking very small, small, you know, nuanced nuanced points here. This class is going to end up between 8 and 12, likely. 
Now, if Oregon cuts a few guys, if Oregon kind of trims the fat on this recruiting class, tells some guys, hey, listen, you can come here, but you're probably not going to play. You just haven't really developed. And a couple guys decommit that are three-star guys and they add four and five-star guys, then all bets are off. They could they could easily end up in the top five or six. But if they hang on to the current 19 they have right now, there's just not enough wiggle room for them to stay in the top five while there's lots of wiggle room for programs just behind them to climb. Something certainly to keep an eye on. But this Oregon class, phenomenal. If you'd missed it, just highlighting just how good this class is. Tatario McMillan on Thursday night, Ser- Servite played Mission Viejo. And his big thing, Greg Biggins talked about it on the recruiting show. Again, I lean on Huffman and Biggins when I haven't seen the guy in person or haven't had the personal connection with the recruit. I think that's a safe way to play it, especially when it comes to scouting reports. Film can lie, folks. You can watch highlight film and go, man, that guy runs by everybody on film. Well, it might be that the games he shows you and the highlights he shows you are games where they're playing teams that are terrible. And so those corners are slow. And in reality, he's not a blazing speedster. He's just faster than the high school crappy team that they played and beat 60 to nothing, right? You have to know context of highlights. You can watch a quarterback and think, man, he's deadly accurate. Look at his 12 passes. And then look at his stats and he completes 52% of his passes and has thrown 12 touchdowns and 11 picks. That's why it's important to see the total picture. And that's why it's important to ask when you don't know. So I've, Greg Biggins has watched McMillan for years and says body control is his big thing. That he goes up and high points the ball. No, he doesn't run the fastest 40. It's his only knock. Great hands, phenomenal route runner, 6'4", 185, physical. One of the top volleyball players in the country. So he's a leaper. The number one thing he has that makes him just completely unique are very strong hands and his ability to go up and high point the ball from different wild angles. It's just body control. He goes up at these weird angles and, and high points the ball and comes down with it. I posted an article on OregonLive.com backslash recruiting. It's a couple of highlights of his unbelievable catches from Thursday night. He had two unreal catches. Then came in at corner and had an interception. But it's really worth watching. He mosses a, a corner in the end zone, and then he kind of just rotates his body for a long gain and high points of football uh, with a corner draped all over him. McMillan is special, just absolutely special. So check that article out. Transitioning very quickly to Oregon State football. They landed a big commitment over the past week. Malachi Matthias Donaldson, the number 15 edge rusher in the country. He's only a three-star prospect. He's been a four-star prospect. So you're thinking three-star prospect, what does that mean? Well, he's got one, he's got a chance to go up to four stars. The other piece here is the number 15 edge rusher generally speaking, is a high-level Power 5 player. Malachi Matthias Donaldson is rated higher than edge-rushing commitments for Georgia, Texas, Cal, a number, Virginia Tech, a number of elite schools. This is a monster get. And when you look at the June visitor list, Oregon State got some really talented players. They did a great job on capitalizing on their visitor list. They already had Melvin Jordan, the number six inside linebacker in the country. They had him before his visit, but they added Dylan Lopez, who's the number two or number three center in the country. He was number two when he committed. I think he's dropped down to number three on ESPN. Still a talented player. They hosted a trio that really stood out to me is if you get those guys, they are difference makers from day one in terms of how we look at your recruiting class. 
The first one is Ryan Otten. Top five, six, uh, tight end in the country. He's from Washington. His brother, Cade Otten, is an All-American candidate at tight end at Washington. But Cade Otten's primary recruiters at Washington were Jonathan Smith and Coach Waz. So there was a chance, there was a belief that Oregon State had an in with the family and could make it a tight battle. And everyone thought, well, Otten's going to Washington. It's a lay-in. He actually waited on his commitment for quite a while, several months, several weeks at least, trying to decide between Washington and Oregon State. They made that battle close, but he chose Washington. It's not a loss there because family ties. His brother's an All-American there. His, his brother, as a tight end, just made the top 100 prospects or ho- college football players. Top 100 college football players. He's on the list. One of the top 100 players in the country for college football. So Washington's developed him. He's had success there. He's enjoyed his time there. Little brother's the same player. You know, we've seen that with, you know, take a look at Oregon with Sewell. Panay Sewell goes to Oregon, has success. Where's Noah Sewell going? Oregon. Everyone just assumes. So Oregon State made it close. It's not a win. It's not a win, but it's not a loss either. They made it close and it was a respectable battle. The other player was Sterling Lane. Borderline four-star line, outside linebacker. I think he is a four-star on one side. Arizona, Colorado, Oregon State were his three visits. Yes, he had Oregon and Michigan and I think Texas A&M or somebody like that um, on his top. He rotated top fives right at the end. Oregon and Michigan were his initial top five. He took out Michigan and threw somebody else in there. But he never visited Oregon or Michigan or the other school. It was always an Arizona, Colorado, Oregon State battle. Sterling Lane in the end last week chooses Arizona. That one kind of stung. But he's one of those three that you, again, you say June visitor that's a potential game changer. The other one was Matthias Donaldson. The other player out of their June visitors that you go, this guy's a, a needle mover is Matthias Donaldson. They've got Melvin Jordan, the number six inside linebacker in the country. They've done a great job recruiting and developing linebackers. Avery Roberts is a young inside linebacker. Omar Spates is a young inside linebacker. Those guys were 1-2 in tackles in the Pac-12 last year. Shortened season, but 1-2 in the Pac-12. They've proven they can develop inside linebackers. And with Hamilcar Rashid, they've shown they can develop an elite edge rusher, even if he's not that good. And and let's let's be candid here. Hamilcar Rashid, great college football player, but the draft showed what he was in terms of the eyes of, of NFL scouts. Not a highly rated player. And you can find people at Oregon State who'll tell you, Hamilcar Rashid was put in a great position to have success at Oregon State, and he capitalized, and he's a very good college football player. But people who are clamoring and saying, oh my gosh, this kid's one of the best players in the country and all that stuff might have been overstating how much his individual talent was overshining scheme. He fit the scheme nicely and they schemed him up well. Great coaching. Hamilcar Rashid's a good player, but the fact that he, you know, his draft status, where he ended up really does highlight kind of what he was thought of as a, as a pro prospect. So they've shown with not a lot of pro potential they can turn an edge rusher into an elite player. Well, Donaldson's better than that. Donaldson's got real pro potential. They've got a chance to develop him and potentially turn him into a pro player. And they can just point to Hamilcar Rashid and say, you'll be this guy. And that appealed to him. Great get for Oregon State. Impressive haul for Oregon State. Three game changers kind of in June that I went, man, these are going to be tough battles. But if you get any of the three, you feel really good about it. 
They missed on Otten. They missed on Lane. They get Donaldson. Nice job by Oregon State staff. Again, probably a top 50 recruiting class by the time it's all said and done. Uh, first time since I think 2013, they will accomplish that. A really nice job here by Oregon State and their coaching staff. They are slowly turning this thing around. It's not warp speed. They're not going to finish with a top four recruiting class in the Pac-12. They're not going to finish with a top 25 recruiting class nationally but they're making serious progress. And you're seeing that because they are beating out multiple Pac-12 schools in head-to-head battles for top recruits on the West Coast. A couple years ago, Gary Anderson era, they were beating out Florida Atlantic, Montana. They were beating out Florida International, Texas Southern, Texas State, UNLV, San Diego State, Nevada. Now they're beating out Cal, Arizona, Colorado, pretty consistently. Nice job by Oregon State's coaching staff. They deserve a lot of praise. That will do it for this week's edition of The Recruiting Trail. I'm Andrew Nimick of The Oregonian and Oregon Live. Thank you for listening.